0: I am Osa Schwab of Inside Malden, Ideas and Stories That Inspire.
1: I just remember being four years old and loving music a lot. Uh, My father was actually a surgeon and um, so when I was asked what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said I wanted to be a singing doctor.
0: My guest today is a composer, performer, and producer who has had a passion for writing songs since the age of four. He has composed interactive and programmatic music for video game publishers such as Disney, Activision, MTV Games. His style shifts between rock, pop, classical, alternative, experimental, ambient... Whatever the muse calls for. He has composed for productions by Blue Man Group and Sony Pictures, various theaters and indie films. He has also written original songs for his innovative genre smashing rock bands, Think Tree and Count Zero. As a vocalist and keyboardist, he has performed around the world with Blue Man Group, Think Tree and Tanya Donelli. He has played lead and supporting roles in many rock musical and opera productions, including Pilot in Jesus Christ Superstar, Pink in Pink Floyd's The Wall, Sorrow in SF Sorrow, and Tramp in The Kinks Preservation. Today from the Palace of Purpose recording studio in Malden, he is among other creative endeavors currently producing Heterotopia, a new rock opera and double album from Schooltree.
1: I started singing and making up my own songs as a kid. I pretty much had been writing songs since then. Um, they were bad songs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was four. But, but uh, I kind of. Do you remember the first one? I kind of sort of remember some of them, yeah. Um, that, so I've, and I've kind of recorded them just so I can remember them. But, um, but yeah, so I started doing that. And, um, and, uh, and then I started, but that was just singing. Then I was like, well, I'd like to actually learn. play music so i started taking piano lessons then i taught myself guitar Mm -hmm. taught myself saxophone taught myself drums by the time i was in high school so i could actually play my own music Mm -hmm. and record it and by that time you could have technology where you could record all your instruments yourself you just keep overdubbing them Mm -hmm. so that got me into recording which is something i've always wanted to do so i've just been really pursuing all those things still also performing as well and working in the studio so i still had those two different Legs, I guess, of my artistic self. Um,
0: in the home, what kind of music did you hear as a child? Uh,
1: I was the youngest of five kids, um, so uh, and was ca- tightly packed Catholic <laughs> family. Uh, well, within eight years, all five kids were born. So, um, so they're all we're all close in age. We're still uh, close to each other. So that was the Beatles, and you know the, whatever was popular in the '60s, and then that morphed into you know like Stevie Wonder in the '70s, or you know. Billions of other bands that, but I was always absorbing, really, until, mm-hmm. you know, I was old enough to buy my own records. Any classical? In the there thing? was classical. My dad, uh, like, cl- we grew up in Nebraska. There was called co- cultural wasteland. It's better now, but back then, there, there, there actually was not any classical music to be had anywhere until my dad started finding it, like, on Sunday mornings on one radio station, and then he was like, "Wow, <laughs> classical music!" Because he's both of my parents are from Somerville. They actually grew up in Somerville. Oh. And so, you know, he grew up at least in somewhat of a cultural
0: mm-hmm.
1: area, you know, and I think he really felt that when he moved out there. I was like, geez, there's nothing, there's no culture out here. So, so there was some classical music, and certainly learning piano lessons. That's the only thing you could have studied as yes. a kid. Was was nobody taught? Like I teach lessons now, and I teach rock, and I teach pop, and I teach classical, jazz. But like, there was nothing. If you wanted to take piano lessons, you were only going to take classicals. That's the only thing that existed. So, yeah, so that so I had a pretty strong classical upbringing there. And mm-hmm. even when I first went to school, uh, college, I went to a classical music school, I went to Eastman School of Music, which mm-hmm. is up in... So that, there's... And that's always been... Like, had that knowledge of, of that type of music has always been a part of me and I think has actually turned into one of these things that's defined me... Uh, Compared to the other like rock musicians I know. Because yes. I, I actually sort of have a lot of classical
0: training uh, and training. sensibility yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. and that kind of thing. Yeah. So when you decided to pursue this as a potential career, yeah. did your parents support that?
1: Kind of. I mean, sure. They did because they put me to school. To like school. One of the things they... my dad, because he grew up poor in Somerville... Mm-hmm uh and uh, um he fought in world war ii and from the gi bill he f- had enough money to go to college mm-hmm. and that made the difference in his life because he went to college and went to harvard medical school and graduated as a doctor and like if it wasn't for the fact that he had that his way paid by mm-hmm. something yes and that made and then he was like now i can get away from this life that i've been growing mm-hmm. up in. So, so to him education was very important and so he made sure that wherever his kids wanted to go to school, he would have enough money for them. That was the one thing he, mm-hmm. like, what? that's the one thing we're not, this is this money that you guys are going to have. So it was great, because they, I didn't ever have to worry about paying for college, which everybody else I know did. Yes. So, um, so that was super ben- beneficial. So yes, in that way they did support me. I'm, I think they probably wanted me to go to like, because I got accepted to like schools that were less music-y. Right. That were more prestigious, but they're like, I was I was like, I want to go to a music school. So, um, so I did. And there were, Cool about it, and yeah. you
0: eventually came to Berkeley, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yep, I finished. I actually finished my schooling at Berkeley. Oh, you did. Okay. Um, and that was largely I needed to come to Boston. Uh, I had a cousin who worked in the industry here. He worked with the Cars, the band, the Cars. Yes, yes. And um, <clears throat> he was he was actually their sound engineer, and he worked in the studio that the Cars owned on, on Newbury Street. And then he would go on tour with them. So he was that kind of a connection. And I played some demos that I'd made uh, right. with my little four track cassette recorder as a kid (laughs) in high school and he's like these are actually really good you should come out to Boston and we'll record them sometime and I was like yeah and then that really got me thinking well I should actually move I should maybe not keep pursuing classical music Mm -hmm. as a profession at Eastman School of Music it was a great school but like the only thing I was a composition major Mm -hmm. writing music Mm -hmm. the only future you can see in that really is teaching at another school and I didn't want to do that because I wanted to perform and write and whatever. So, at some point after that, I was like, "That maybe this isn't the right path. Maybe we should actually go to a place that has more active, vibrant, popular rock music scene." Right. Uh, and then, so Berkeley was a way I could finish out my education, uh, still at a music school, and also be in a place where there was a lot of music happening. And then, and I graduated, stayed in the area, and was in, was in bands.
0: share a little bit of the progression after you graduated, uh-huh. sort of how you proceeded okay, into well, the world of music.
1: Yeah, like I didn't, um, I still worked uh, day jobs, uh, really up until I was in my late 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of kept weaning myself off of them gradually, like, but I still, <laughs> but you know. I,
0: I like that description, <laughs> yeah. weaning myself. I was
1: weaning myself off of them. <laughs> Um, but so, so that obviously take up time because I'm working some obviously. day job. Sure. And, uh, but I was still able to pursue, um, having my own band and working with other artists and producing and like kind of cobbling a studio together. Right. But it wasn't until, I, I really think, uh, I started working for the Blue Man Group, uh, in like 2000, 2001 or something like that. And b- largely because they needed, they needed my technical Assistance they had
0: for recording, yeah. Sound, like they just production. brought this new Pro
1: Tools rig and they didn't know how to use it, and they knew I knew it, so they were like, Hey, can you come down to New York and help us set up stuff and give us some tips? And, and I knew some of the guys that worked there, I see that used to live in okay. Boston, so that was a connection. So, so I was went down there and started helping the Blue Man Group make their second record, mm-hmm. um, which uh, was this long endeavor of theirs, and then once I finished that record they were like well, now we need to go tour it um, and we're going to be on the road all the time so and we want you cuz you played the keyboards on all these things and you sang a lot of the vocals on this record can you come on tour with us if i sing a song will you sing along if i sing a song will you sing along i'd seen the show a couple times and yes. i thought it was hilarious and funny and interesting and unique and um and and, I knew, and as I said, I knew some guys that would, had been playing in it. There's three blue men in every right. show. And then there's at least that many, if not way more musicians
0: pumping the them in or, the back, kind of yeah. behind
1: a screen. If You sure. go see a theater show. So those are the guys I typically would know was the other musician mm-hmm. people. The, but the three main blue men that started it or still ran the company. And they didn't maybe perform that much because they had hired other, because they, they're in like, um, I don't know, like many eight different cities. cities right? yeah. So they have to have a right. coterie of like trained blue men, right? they didn't really they performed a little bit not that much but they were still very much in the driving seat of like trying to make their new record they were like when i would go to the studio it would be those three guys Mm
0: -hmm.
1: working on the music Mm -hmm. i had been with a show for a long time so i knew the script really well because i'd just been performing it right right. and i didn't recite any of the script i sang some of the songs and i played some of the parts but there's a voiceover that's going on the whole time but there's other parts of the script that are Ah. going on. there's other video that's happening Mm -hmm. that okay so all this stuff had to get translated into portuguese uh Brazilian Portuguese uh Spanish initially and then the next year we went to France we translated mm-hmm. into French had to get translated into uh Danish Germany German and then eventually Korean. Um so yes. So after a while they're like we need somebody that knows the script that can deal with the translators. Because I didn't have to translate it but the translators did. Right. But even the translators it's a very nuanced job. You can't just be like oh, I translated goodness. it They have to be like I have to be like oh well this this isn't funny This this part is <laughs> where you, you, or funny you see the point people. of this is this because right. that leads into the foreshadowing with this other thing that happens later, you know, right? and um, and Yeah, so it was great and sometimes it would work out great like the French translator person did a great job and she told mm-hmm. and the, we played the first night in Paris and people were like They're loving it. They totally it was great and but a week later a couple of weeks later we were in Korea and I had worked with a Korean translator and she had warned me like this stuff is satire and Koreans <laughs> don't get satire. Oh no. I was like no So what happened? Well we still put the jokes in mm-hmm. and we still have the satire in there and the social commentary and I bet some people got it. Mm-hmm. We just performed in Seoul so there's probably some cosmopolitan like people that were sort of at least knew what the American culture was like mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. but you know there's three blue guys dancing around so it's like how much do you really, you know, they're (laughs) just there to see like three blue guys, That's already funny. Right, right. right. (laughs) So. Wow. So then we could fall back on that and the music and stuff, so those universal things would work, so.
0: I am Osa Schwab of Inside Malden, ideas and stories that inspire, and I am speaking with Peter Moore, composer, performer, and producer. So, from that experience, what what were your big takeaways? I
1: had to learn how to be a better singer because it was singing every night. Oh, so, sure. I, I took a lot of vocal training mm-hmm. before that, which I'd sung all my life. But like, this was really like
0: focused. You got to really intense. do this.
1: You can't like have an off night, you right? Know? Um, so, that really helped focus that mm-hmm. um and uh really it's kind of an easy job at the when you're at that stage because mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm used to being in bands you like pl- slog everything into your van yes. drive to this place <laughs> and somebody's bleary eyed and then you like, guys <laughs> set everything up and something's broken right. but like when you're in that stage is like there's people that do that and then you just walk in for a sound check. I
0: see what you're saying. And then
1: you walk, so that, that part was like.
0: Kind of cushy in a way. Super, yeah, it yeah. was like
1: spoiled. You yeah, know? yeah. But it was also great because I didn't have to do that much, as much work, you know. Right. And you're, it's one of these weird things, right? You're working as a professional musician. Mm-hmm. The, the assumption is like, well, the job is that you've already put in all these hours practicing all your life. Mm-hmm. And. So, yes, you are not working more than th- two or three hours this day, technically, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't be here had you not put in all this, you know.
0: Right. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting you gotta remind use of yourself time of that, and you know. energy. In one interview, I noted you said something about being authentic as a performer and an artist, and yet you also mentioned that there's this practical element of making money. Talk a little bit about that tension that you experience and how you navigate it.
1: I mean, I think this is like so common. I don't I, there's probably like only 1% of the artists in the world, like even less than that, that ever feel like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. Like, <laughs> everybody's got to balance it. As long as you know that, I remember reading this interview with Philip Glass, the composer, mm, um, yes. like in the 80s. And he was, that was probably the peak of his success he Was a modern American composer. He lived in, in Manhattan oh. and he was still like driving a cab to make ends meet. And I, and, and I remember the interview and I'm like, isn't this crazy? You're like, one of, <laughs> they're the most famous composer in America, certainly, right True. now. And, and he, he was like, yeah, I know, whatever. And, and his reaction was more like all the other people I know in Manhattan, or for instance, or anywhere, all of his other artists' friends are in the same boat. And, mm-hmm. and he was like, you know what, nobody really complains about it. As long as you know that that's what the deal is, like, you just sort of, like, deal with it. You know, you go, like, okay, well, I have to spend, this, I have to spend more time doing mm-hmm. work for other people so I can get paid for it. And, and a lot of times it's gratifying to do that, too. You learn a lot when you work for other artists, when you have to, like... Like, yes. you were talking about Lainey, uh, the, the band Schooltree. Like, I've been right. working on her record for a long time. And it's her vision. Yes. And it's a very deep, thought-out vision. It's very complex. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: this is the heterotopia, the, the rock
1: opera. The, yes, yeah, the double, right. d- the double album mm-hmm, really is mm-hmm. a better way to look at it. But, and, but I mean, but you know, you have to get absorbed into that to do a good job, being the person that's helping her bring it out to people and recording it and mm-hmm. arranging it, you know, helping her engineer it so that's you know ah, understood. Yes. I mean, you're doing a technical job, right? That's the same as like doing the lighting or camera work or whatever. It's like this is a technical job, but if, if it's done. Without care and precision, especially for something that you're involved that deeply in,
0: right, right,
1: then then you're like doing it a disservice, you know. And and you do learn from that. Is I guess more what my point was. You you absorb from these artists in their own ways, and you it informs you, and you learn. Sometimes they have really great. you know, uh, practices and methods that you had never even used before. Like, hey, well, I'm gonna do this. And you're like, why would you do that? That's dumb. And then you're like, well, actually, actually, that, that's kind of a cool way to do that, I mean, you know? <laughs> so so you can equally find most of the people you work with, you'll right. learn something from, you know?
0: If you were to kind of share what you think is your authentic artistry or contribution artistically, what is that? It, it, can you describe that? What is it you you are an artist? You are many things. Mm-hmm. You're a performer, but but what is it you're bringing? Who is who is Peter Moore mm-hmm. the artist?
1: I mean, there's I, I guess I would look first to like w- composing because the music that I write. What's the music that I write? Because that's mm-hmm. a thing that I would think was the most. That's to me the most important thing I do.
0: And that's so creative, right? Would yeah, you say that's the most creative? Right, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 right, right, and that, right. So. Um, the music is something interesting. Mm-hmm. I li- that, To me, like, I get really bored listening to most music because mm-hmm. it's just like, the I've heard it, whatever. the sounds just like that. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't really intrigue me. Right. <laughs> so if I find th- things, I'm usually intrigued by something like, wow, I've never heard anything like that before. And then you're like, wow, that's great. That expands. It. So I always try and make music that does that to people. So may- there may be, like, it may be quirky. It may, be, it may have, like, strange, unusual bits in it or something like that, but... There to keep it interesting. You know.
0: Let's talk a little bit about Mockingbird okay. and what is the artistry there and mm-hmm. what is it you're trying to um, share?
1: The concept of the lyrics is that the, um, the a mockingbird is actually there to absorb the pain that it views and that it sees in humans. Mm-hmm. It sort of takes that pain, um, and and processes it, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. And I didn't realize that I've written. I'd written a song that was had a very similar theme in my band Think Tree called "Hire a Bird," which was actually kind of a local hit song and got Think to tour in Europe because it was it was it was well received. But the same kind of idea, that was more an environmental uh, aspect at that mm. point. It was more like this: uh, how do how do I it was sort of like written from the point of view. is like, how do I look at this world and uh, see all the environmental degradation going on and, and mm-hmm. what can I do to tell, do anything about it? So you're wondering why they put heaven on high Why the gods don't visit us anymore And you lift your eye to the deep blue sky The only way I stood hire a bird to sing your song and, and take the message to the people so but so this mockingbird song was actually not too terrible <laughs> my, my wife jokes that I write songs about birds and, and flowers <laughs> it's like oh my god you're right I never noticed this I have That's like a lot of interesting yeah and nature things like I don't like I don't notice maybe it, you're a
0: botanist or a biologist it's on possible. the other side maybe on the other in an alternate universe yeah but that's quite rich. It's it's a wonderful production and the, and the visuals. Mm. Did you have a part in the? Well, we uh, of...
1: worked with this great local director, Michael Pope, um, who's actually got his own Kickstarter campaign that I think is actually going to end by the time this airs too. Mm-hmm. He's making his own movie called Cinematica. Um, mm-hmm. And but anyway, we hired him uh, to help to just make a video. we were just you've made good videos. Can you help us make a video? And we met with him. We were like, Would it wouldn't be funny if we had this sort of. This conceit that it was like the band is this commedia dell'arte kind of troupe like <laughs> just with make making stuff out of nothing and just putting a show together which was great because we do it for really cheap we'd make things out of cardboard and that so that kept costs down yeah but i mean it was, that was the idea it was like we're just putting this show on we're gonna like you're gonna be the in this first verse you're playing the woman who's getting insulted by her husband and makes it makes you feel bad okay and then the second verse you're playing this character or whatever mm-hmm. um and so we got, I got my guitars to dress up in a negligee and put, <laughs> I, saw right? that whatever. So I got my drummer to dress up as a, as a cashier a female cashier in the second but it was the same idea it's just like yeah. hey, we're putting a show on here's a wig you know um, and, and Michael Pope was like, oh, that's great. I can totally work with that and that's um, I can work within this, these limitations. And yes. he, was, he, he was amazing. It was like, it was a one-day shoot. Um, and I was like, there's no way you're going to get all these cuts. It's, and I it's, looked at it. And he was just like, bing, 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 bing. He had an assistant. He was like, oh, next shot. We, we have two seconds for this shot. OK, good. Next shot. You know. And it was like really well. I was really impressed by how well-managed it was, amazing. actually. Amazing. She starts again.
0: I am Osa Schwab of Inside Malden, Ideas and Stories That Inspire, and I am speaking with Peter Moore, composer, performer, and producer. I I think this was a um, recording that you did, not the last one, um, Little Minds. Yep,
1: okay the third uh, Count Zero record right yep.
0: what was the theme the general mm. theme of that
1: that one was more about um, a loss of innocence I yeah, think he's got a photo doing. of a kid on the cover that's mm-hmm. running away from some like yes, nuclear accident yes, or something yes, yes. Um, and it's set up like a coloring book you're yes. supposed to be able to right um, but well, that's the lyric sheet but yeah but most of th- a lot of the themes have to do with uh, in some way a loss of innocence um, mm-hmm. and whatever different manifestations there are but um, right. Most of the songs kind of have to do with that. There
0: was one um, song that sort of made me think of um, this tension of having to, to uh, create for money uh-huh. or the power that money has over us uh-huh. to make decisions that are sort of um, not aligned with our values. Yeah. I don't know if there Is was. It,
1: um, um, it could have been uh, Sail Your Ship By. It could have been. That's well, it. Oh, that's okay. it.
0: Yeah. That's the one. Sail your ship by.
1: Yeah, that actually was in Guitar Hero, uh, oh, the video right. game. That was that. That was actually how I started getting into video games. Is this
0: particular song. That particular
1: song oh. was uh, was put in Guitar. And this is uh, Guitar Hero was made by the studio Harmonix that I worked at for. Yes. Five years.
0: Okay. Right. Because
1: before I started working for them, my bass player worked for Harmonix. Izzy Maxwell.
0: Okay. And he's
1: like, "We're making this new game called Guitar Hero, but we don't have enough content because." It was a new game, and nobody knew how big of a hit it was going to be. So they right. needed more songs mm-hmm. to put in the game, mm-hmm. um, so you could play guitar to these songs, right? And they couldn't buy the licenses from the real artists because it, it wasn't popular enough of the game. So they had to, <sighs> so they they made some imitation songs, and they're like, okay, if we just give us a song, we'll have people that work for the company give us song. So we gave them mm-hmm. a song. We gave them the song, to "Say Oh Shit Bye," because we had interesting guitar parts in it. And then next thing you know, this Guitar Hero is a huge hit, and tons of people know my band. And we we weren't even like in the first like you, you only got to our song if you like went and <laughs> played like a million hours of the game. You would- and we still oh, got really? lots of fans. Oh. Yeah, you had to like unlock it. It was like oh, one of these things I you see. unlock if you get good, good, good and then you I unlock see. the special content. And we were like the special content. Oh.
0: As far as the creative process that you um, engage in, I imagine it differs if it's something that's from you and from an observation versus when you're working with someone and creating something sort of on commission. Or is the process the same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same? no, it's, it's, it's that's a little different. different.
1: Well, it's usually the content you really... Right. If, if somebody comes in, they're recording, a, I'm recording an artist, and mm-hmm. they're like, here's my music, and here's the song, and... Mm-hmm. We record, not, we record it, I really can't go, I think she should write this, this song should be about something else. <laughs> like, I can't do that.
0: Well, you could, but I you could. might. I could, it's
1: not, they, they, they don't like that. It's really, you know, people are very personal about their lyrics. And yes, And there's, there's times that people write lyrics, and I'm like, that's a really, that's not good. But I can't, yeah. you gotta be, you know, you can't be, right. uh, if it's really bad and they're open to it, you can be like, hey, what about changing that? Right. But even that's like getting dicey. Like that's very personal. You don't really want to mess with that stuff. Yes. And there's so yes. many other things to mess with that usually they they want help for. They don't really want. Right. Right. If they, if they I've had people come up to me and be like, "What's I I can't find a good second line for this verse."
0: So me. so does some an idea come to you in an inspiration or is it that you you kind of um, it's iterative? Well, probably both.
1: Yeah, it's right? probably both. I mean, sometimes you can be. Sometimes it's it's a uh, um, well I, honestly a lot of times when you're writing music a, a lyric doesn't come right away or if it does it's not the one you end up with mm-hmm. or maybe the sentiment is there but it needs to be changed sometimes you, you just like I'm like oh that's the perfect lyric do you right start the with the word the I usually lyric start, or start or off with. Uh, some melodic r- thing uh, that usually has some words to attach to it and sometimes those words work I see and sometimes those words are enough to get you going and write everything else mm-hmm. but like I don't I don't necessarily have here's five stanzas in the <laughs> chorus some people do work like that yeah. they're like they write yeah. all the lyrics first they like like Bob Dylan I don't think Bob Dylan comes with the music first he's like he writes the verse first 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 and he's like death break <laughs> to going too soon? you know and then he just goes there's no, like, he doesn't come up with that melody in his head. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think. It's <laughs> that's not, that's not he's his not, thing. Yeah, it's not his thing, yeah, right. Yeah. So there right. are people that write like, it's not the right, way.
0: Right, right. And does, is the content, like the theme, like if it's your own song, is is it something you're kind of thinking about that, you know, in, in life yeah, that probably. is sort of underneath that somehow? Yeah, yeah,
1: I think you look for the things that, that, for me, I look for the things that I think need to be talked about.
0: Ah, yes.
1: Or... I don't like talking about things that have already been talked about. Right. Like I could write a love song, but I still would be like, okay, and I've written plenty of love songs or whatever, but I, they're really hard to write ones that are just like, you're neat, or <laughs> whatever. Like just a really stupid sentiment, right? It's funner to yeah. if you like find a different angle on it. Like, ooh, what about this thing happening in that relationship, or what if, you know.
0: Yes, yeah. I actually put makes- out
1: a solo record, the only solo record I put out five years, and it's all about, it's a story of a, of a boy that falls in love And every successive song is his going through the relationship until he ends up breaking up at the end. Mm -hmm. And then, whatever. It's a cycle.
0: If you were to write a song, that has something to do with Malden it doesn't have to be Malden the city but just things that happen in Malden with the people in Malden what might it be like
1: okay so this would be so th- I have a totally different answer but because to me it, it depends on how where it's coming to me from if like the mayor called me up like we need a song for Malden <laughs> I want to be something up meat and peppy, like kids can sing or something, you know, then I, you know, I come up with something that would be like, Walden. you know, or, you don't feel Walden when you're in Malden. I don't know. You come up with, probably something better than that. But whatever, you come up with something that would be, you know, for that purpose. Right. But I think you're asking, like, if I was moved to sing about Malden. No, I, well, you know, I think everybody comments about the diversity in Malden. Um, you know, it's a very diverse mm-hmm. culture. Um, so that would probably be one of the things I would touch on, I think, mm-hmm. is that there's, um, you know, there's just so many, there's so many different little pockets of, of culture. I mean, you know, culture is like a overused word, but, you know, you go to, like when I leave here, I'm going to go, I, I realize, oh, I'll go downtown and I'll go to the the middle eastern store and get this and i'll go to the indian store and pick up some cardamom pods and whatever right. it's like i know you know there's these things you do and i can't you can't do that everywhere and exactly. so that's one of the things that i find really um very understated because it's not like multicultural Malden, <laughs> you know it's just like it just is <laughs> yes. the way yes. it is because yes. it's, it's really largely because it's attract, attracts people that are lower income I, you know that has a lot to do with what and that's usually how multicultural places start anyway right and that's why i think that the that's why i think i'm hopeful about the future of Boston because like you know there's i think that's usually a good sign when i've seen that happen to communities it usually ends up benefiting everybody mm-hmm. you know um i suppose that probably wasn't a long time ago and i think boston it's unique for boston because boston is so much a, a city of neighborhoods yes and it still is yes if you go you notice this when you go to other cities you're like. Mm-hmm wow, the other people aren't so segregated. We still, Boston still Definitely is quite have, segregated.
0: That is true, yes. But it's
1: less and less so, even since I've been here in the past, like, 30 years, I've noticed it. Like, it, there are places like, that is Irish. That's where the blacks live. This is where the, you know. Right. And it's less like that now. But it still has a ways to go. And I found, I, th- I think Malden, I don't find it that, I th- everybody's sort of thrown into the mix, it seems. Right?
0: yes I, I think so I, I mean I think it could be more uh, interaction uh, meaningful yes, interaction
1: yeah, of course right that
0: would yield some profound results um, so, so my last question is sort of um, about the hope that you have for the effect of your work what would make you what makes you happy or what makes you maybe more fulfilled that, wow, you know, I see where I fit in this society. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, right. I think you you can just have uh, an artistic expression that's just like, here's my artistic expression about whatever, whatever mm-hmm. my pet cause is or whatever, you know. And, <laughs> and, and then you, that you're like, yay, I made my expression, and, and I don't care if anybody ever sees it or hears it. And um, there's definitely lots of people that are like that. I don't. I never. You always. I, I always want somebody to to hear it. You know, like I'm not right. just making music, so it's like, eh, and I just kept it in my room. And it's great. You know, it's like, well, it's, you have to throw it out there. So yes, yeah, so th- th- I'm. I. You're right. I do. You do want some people to like be affected by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like it does seem like unlikely that you're going to affect. Change. I mean, you do try and be. You want to manage your expectations about these mm-hmm, things, I guess. Mm-hmm. Especially as you get older. When you're younger, you're like, "I'm going to change the world," and then <laughs> that's true. you don't. And you're like, hmm, yes. "What happened?" <laughs> but I mean, like when I was growing, up, I remember growing up and hearing "Living for the City" by Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. in Nebraska. I don't even know how it got on our radio because, like, I don't. I don't know how it. But anyway, I heard it. Right. And um, and I was like, "What is this? It's amazing." And and that's a song about the you know, uh, particularly. Uh, low-income blacks being oppressed uh, by their culture, and by their society, mm-hmm. and in the early '70s, whatever, mm-hmm. and how they just there's nothing they can do to make it, you know, because the stacks, uh, things are stacked against them. And I just remember, I, like, that having such a huge impact on me. And being, and, and through the years, every time that that song plays, I'm still like, really, mm-hmm. you, 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 I'm just very touched by the the sincerity uh, and of, of that performance and the song and and. How beautiful that. So, mm-hmm. um, did that change me? Maybe it did. You know, maybe, maybe had I never heard that, who knows? Maybe I'd end up being, I don't know, a bigot in like North <laughs> Nebraska or something. I don't know. Like what? I don't know. Yeah. But it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to quantify that stuff. But you. But you feel like okay maybe not just that one thing but like all these things add to a culture that make you at least conscious about other things, make you think about other things you weren't maybe thinking about. And you take it for granted because we're like, oh, I'm very aware of all these things that are happening in the world. But a lot of people, I mean there's tons of things I'm not aware of uh, and and I I think a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of things and sometimes it needs to be made more apparent to them, you know. Went by. I guess I'm still the same old guy, but yeah, I changed. I fit into the uniforms, I learned their norms, and it's all good. I did it to be understood, I learned their words just to be heard. And now it seems my broken dreams can trampled on. It's just in long to tell the children it's more they use, to those my age. That this is this, I think my rage. Is just this,
0: I am Osa Schwab of Inside Malden, Ideas and Stories That Inspire. To subscribe to the Inside Malden podcasts, visit InsideMalden.com, where you can also view or listen to other episodes, offer your reflections in a guest blog post or comment, and discover some other ways of engaging with our growing community. Inside Malden, Ideas and Stories That Inspire, is a production of MATV's Neighborhood View, with host and executive producer Osa Schwab, director Ann D'Urso-Rose. Production team includes Karen Lynch, Elena Martinez, Sam Beltrussis, Ron Cox, Elizabeth Scorsello. This program is supported in part by a grant from the Malden Cultural Council, a local agency which is supported by the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency. Production facilities are provided by M.A.T.V., Malden's Media Center. The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. M.A.T.V. welcomes your comments, Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org.